and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a podcast man, and I'm here uh, to eagerly discuss Savage 3, though knowing Dan, he's probably put the foreign title in the description because... I uh... 100% have... (laughs) (laughs) But it's Dan's... It's Fango Balente and everyone else can do one. <laughs> but yeah, it is Dan's choice for this fortnight, so he can do what he wants. Yeah, I call it Savage 3 for, for ease, but, you know, it's not like Fango Balente is a hard name to pronounce. If you're not, though it might be harder to fa- search for <laughs> in iTunes, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what the listener figures are for this one. But yeah, Savage 3, it's a film about how rubbish it is to have a job also mice <laughs> if you don't want to call it fango <laughs> if you don't want to call it fango balente you can call it by its very obscure ultra title the first rat bites e- which is an amazing that is title a fantastic title tell the precious arrowheads about the plot of this one because yet again it's going to be an underseen one though that is a shame oh, because yeah. it's an amazing movie and it is in an amazing box set the years of lead box set is Fantastic. Oh, the years of lead box set is so good. One of the best things Arrow's yeah, ever is, put out. Yeah, genuinely astonishing. A great collection of films. Mm. Yeah, Fango Valente is a, a really interesting one, and I'm sure that there will be people out there who disagree with me about my read on this, but I would say that it's a... It's, this, it's the rarest of beasts in that it's ostensibly neither right wing nor... What's the, what's the stupid thing that Americans call right wing sometimes... Uh, libertarian it's a, <laughs> it's it's neither libertarian nor authoritarian and it's not right wing despite being a politzeteski mm. i love the the subgenre of politzeteski it's born out of uh dirty harry ripoffs dirty harry is a problematic pro cop like sort of masturbatory gun fantasy which with hindsight i find quite unpleasant and objectionable dan you're you're starting um, to ruin my I, recommendations here but carry on <laughs> But but I but I but I but I love I love the crazy violent cinema. Yeah. And it's really difficult because like horror is like traditionally quite left leaning, uh, but action cinema is is innately quite right leaning mm-hmm. because the concept of like the 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 premise of action cinema is very often uh, that the best way to solve a problem is to shoot a bunch of motherfuckers in the face, and that's innately like the like the the violence is justice rather than that violence is fear yeah. which is what you get from horror yeah. is a more right-wing opinion so it's quite difficult to have a a, a left-wing film i'm i'm jumping off topic uh, just because i'm very excited about this sam the prince prince charles is showing come and see sam wow holy shit yeah the, the Prince Charles is, is showing come and see in March and I'm going to go and see it and I'm very oh excited. I'm God. trying to make people come and I'm basically trying to choose who, like when you're choosing who do you want to go and see, come and see with you, you're basically asking yourself, who do I want to see have a bad day? <laughs> the worst day. Like, who do I want to see cry? Yeah. <laughs> But like, so the, uh, in the Roger Ebert review of Come and See, there's uh, the Roger Ebert review, the you know, the Roger Ebert dot com review. I don't know if it's his words. It says it's impossible to make a left. It said that it's impossible to say uh, to make a left wing war film because war is by its nature exciting and the end of the film belongs to the survivors. But this is you can't say this about 
come and see because at the end the survivors should envy the dead yeah yeah that um, that is and, that and is definitely t- roger ebert uh, basically it was all roger ebert before he died and they carried mm. on the the website in his yeah. honor I just didn't know when the when the review yeah, was written. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember that review actually. It's a, a beautiful review. Um, recommend people it's read it. It's a very that. good review. Even though we are totally off topic now. From yeah, we are off topic. But so so <laughs> coming back to Fanga Balente, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 film itself deals with these amazing perennial issues. But unlike your traditional Politzeteski, which I have a lot of time for, and I love the sort of bombast and insanity of them. You love those movies, Dan. Don't it, undersell what it. What it never says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those mm-hmm. movies. But what it never does is it never says the system is broken because it's not it's not able to be authoritarian enough mm-hmm. it's not you know it's it never says the system is broken because the police aren't allowed to just get on and do their jobs and yeah so what if they rough up a few youths like there are so many politiciteski movies where the 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 lead is either a cop who has been told that he he's you know he's not doing things right like ala dirty harry uh, and he has to go out on his own or it's someone who's having to deal with like the same director as Fango Balente did know the case has been happily resolved, which is another amazing movie and is about endemic corruption in the police force, which is another sort of perennial topic within this subgenre. But in No, the case is happily resolved. He does a fantastic job of it being about the privilege of the elites and the rich. So that, like I said, this is neither libertarian nor authoritarian. And the, the problem is that normally these films fall either on the side of the authoritarian saying what we need is tougher police or the libertarian saying well the police are innately corrupt and the answer is to just fucking go buck wild and not have any rules fango valente is at its heart a movie that feels akin to the anti-work movement it's about people who are either being replaced by machines or who are being treated as little more than machines at their work. These bright young things are understimulated and undersatisfied. And when that is joined as it is in the ever handsome Joe D'Alessandro with a broken brain streak, because this man is not right, it can lead to trouble. And they play around with the idea of, I mean, this was made in the 70s. It's, uh, it's, there's a lot of stuff about uh, the football violence that was going on at the time. Mm. Italian football violence has always been sort of culturally related to the post-fascist right-wing space, these riots. But there's a lot of language from the police about saying it's immigrants who are causing this kind of stuff. There's a lot of talk about how, like, oh, our cities are full. You know, all this all this uh, sort of, like, quite cynical dialogue that will echo the sort of pro-Brexit sort of Farage speak that we've, you know, we've heard over the last decade or so in the uk or the trump stuff that you know about the borders that, that will have been heard in the states in the last 10 years as well so it's it's it paints this really interesting portrait of a, of a city that's broken and then you've got this one lone policeman who rather than being lone because he but you know because he's the, the the harry callahan and he's you know he's just too fucking manly for everybody else to handle he he fucked up he's paid the price by being knocked out of the flying squad for his you know his backstory but he's the one who's saying that you know maybe there are these sort of like societal situations these problems that are causing these these crimes to happen and i'm 100 percent going to talk about the end of the movie in a bit but i i want to give plenty of warning so i'm going to take a little bit of a breath because i realize i've been fucking ranting for like <laughs> 20 minutes i'll let's well, say some things i'll tell you what and then I'll, 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 a, and then I'll give another warning I'll, I'll step in very quickly before we get too far away from the point that you made before 
before. Uh, yes, 100% these movies were massively influenced by Dirty Harry, though they the, the genre did exist before Dirty Harry. They were kind of transformed after that film crossed the water and became more dark and more, more morally ambiguous and, and, and much more violent. But I'd say for me, and the reason I kind of love the Pulitzer how I could I always struggle with saying this word so hold on a minute Poliziotesky uh Polizias, oh I can't say it say it again Poliziotesky Poliziotesky uh <laughs> <laughs> you sound like the Duolingo <laughs> but the Poliziotesky uh genre I can only say it when I do it in an Italian accent which is probably deeply offensive but um what the biggest influence on, on on this genre for me is the western because it, oh, yeah. it, it basically took the the western tropes and updated them set them in the modern day but these two genres share you know actors and directors uh, also composers cinematography yeah. kind of styles and also uh, narrative tropes and franco nero aka django obviously a kind of a, a figurehead of uh, the italian crime movies he's actually the the lead of the first kind of post dirty harry uh polizia chesky uh, movie high crime which kind of use the genre to yeah. explore police corruption and vigilante uh, tactics so yeah if you're into the kind of spaghetti westerns and you haven't discovered this genre um because it is it is relatively obscure i'd say like diehard film fans know these films but that it's not as kind of in the mainstream in the same way as giallo is for example or, or the spaghetti western I, I love that for for you and me giallo is mainstream <laughs> Well, come on, like people, people watch Malignant and because, yeah. you know, it's got a, a red filter and a light, they're like, ah, oh, shallow. So they kind of know enough to kind of recognise that kind of thing. But obviously Spaghetti Westerns, definitely mainstream. Everyone knows um, the Clint Eastwood uh, Spaghetti Western movies. So, yeah, and Eastwood is kind of uh, an influence on this genre as well uh, because of the Dirty Harry connection. So, yeah, it all comes together. It all connects. Dan, have you have you taken a, a breath enough to launch back into your rant after that diversion? Oh, 100%. I, I, <laughs> I just felt that I should... I should save our discussion of the very end of the film until a little bit later because I, the, I, I suspect that this is going to be one of the ones where, where maybe... You know, people haven't seen Well, it. the good news is, is that you can pause this very podcast, Precious Arrowhead, go to your Arrow streaming service where the entire Years of Lead box set awaits you and um, you can watch this movie and then and then come back because, yeah, it's definitely one that we would both heartily recommend just in case that isn't clear. And every single film in that Years of Lead box set is magnificent. Oh, yeah, yeah, amazing, all of them. Dan, let, let's hear, let's hear your thoughts on the ending. I'll talk obliquely, but if you don't want any spoilers, then please do skip ahead by X minutes. Yeah, like one of the reasons I like this film so much is I feel that it, in the way that it finishes the film, it it draws attention to the idea that punitive measures to deal with crime only provide a vacuum that can be filled by more crime. And that throughout the film, it has drawn attention to a lack of funding for social services. There's a scene where they talk about how, oh, you know, the traffic wardens aren't out because they've stopped paying for their shoes as part of their uniform. So now they're protesting about that. So there are no traffic wardens. Uh, And like they're literally 
all the way through the film there are little like nods to the idea that basic social services are being quite underfunded and these young men are behaving the way they're behaving in the movie through boredom you know societal oppression yeah various reasons frustration but once the yeah frustration once the once the movie kind of like has its end there's this little coda in a restaurant and you're like oh fuck it's all gonna start again and and what i feel like the movie is saying is these are endemic problems with society and just fucking shooting people isn't gonna solve it and you know you can use shooting people as a metaphor for locking people up and you know whatever all any punitive Mm -hmm. punishment uh, any punitive measures, uh, and that it's just going to keep happening unless we address the root issues, which are societal management, and that makes it feel like a really fucking left-wing Politsiteski, which is very rare. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely jumped on this when it was announced. As soon as it was announced, you really wanted to do this. It took us a little bit of time to actually get to it in terms of the schedule, but this is one that you're really passionate about. It's one that I love too, but I don't have quite the same reading as you, but I'm not going to go into that. I think your reading is is the best reading, and um, yeah, I just think it's a great film. No, I do. No, I've got there's there's room there's room for there's room for alts. Give me give me what you got. No, no, it's 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 uh, well, I just I see it as a bit more um, cynical than that, really. I don't think what I said isn't cynical. Right, I, I think it's saying that everything is kind of fucked. Yeah, yeah. like. We we aren't addressing the the problems in a in a reasonable way. We aren't doing anything actionable that we, you know. There's nothing actionable that we are undertaking that, that's going to solve these problems because the systems within which we are operating are geared to you know deliberately or or accidentally perpetuate these cycles. I I completely agree with that. I I guess what I heard in what you said which I think probably isn't what you're saying now that um you expand on it but the idea of it being kind of left wing there's the idea that there's a little bit of hope there in the it's trying to change things. It's the left showing how bad shit is and wanting to change it whereas i kind of see it a little bit more in the middle where all of these films in this genre are so misanthropic i think it's just saying that this is how it is and this is how it's always going to be as opposed to this is how it is we should change it i almost think it's like this is how it is that's kind of cool i think it's a really really fucking dark movie basically oh yeah it absolutely is and and like you know you've you've been out of the uk for all of one hot minute so <laughs> maybe you've forgotten that it's miserable and and depressive to be a left winger in the uk yes <laughs> <laughs> That there's no 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 speck of light on the horizon, yeah. and that everything's awful. Well, I don't know. But it I looks like Boris might be about to go, right? Yeah, of course, because the fucking right wing press has finally decided that it's worthwhile ousting him. Right? Yeah, yeah. You on it? Like the 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 fucking leaving party was for someone who now works in the tabloid press. Right. They had all these fucking stories months ago. Right. right. They just—it just wasn't politically advantageous for Murdoch and his fucking cronies to do anything about it until now. Mm-hmm. It's so wretchedly sad. Yeah, 
And it's it's entirely appropriate. Sorry. No, no, don't apologise. It's entirely appropriate to talk about this stuff because the years of lead isn't just the name of this box set. It's the, the term for the specific period of social and, and political tension in Italy that these movies kind of explored narratively and thematically. Yeah. Um, so it's perfectly appropriate for us to have a tiny smidgen of politics in this episode. You're one to say that guns don't solve things, Dan. So... You definitely wouldn't take a gun to any uh, any of the politicians currently uh, in the Houses of Parliament, right? <laughs> that, feels, that feels like you're daring me to do an assassination. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on before uh, before a court you, case. Look, I've done. I've had nothing but very accurate reads all the way through this particular episode of the podcast, and that's definitely how I'm reading what you just said. <laughs> Uh, right, no comment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the extras on this set. Oh. I Love Violence and Justice in the Years of Lead, which is a fantastic oh. video essay about the genre as a whole. It's kind of a really great starting point to the genre and to this set. And I would advise watching it first as it kind of puts it all into a historical and cinematic context. But there are massive spoilers yeah, in there fair. for each of the films. Yeah. So maybe save it until last but that's also on arrow streaming service so um that's really handy yeah it's tough um i'll tell you what though did you watch that really lovely long joe delisandro interview i didn't actually no tell me about it oh it's like a 40 minute deep dive with delisandro about his career Mm -hmm. and when i when i popped it on because i think it was on so i've already got this on blu-ray this film Uh, there was a german release of it a couple of years ago a year ago maybe which i picked up and uh, and is beautiful and then i th- i think these are ported over from that release but because it's a german release i had just ignored the extras because i assumed they wouldn't be english subtitled mm. uh, i assume they'd be in german mm. but yeah this is a, a 40 minute uh deep dive into delisandro's career and it's absolutely brilliant it literally starts with an anecdote about how he went to an andy warhol photo shoot because he thought he might be able to scam some soup <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> he was he was in his he was like a kid and he he like like oh they're doing a photo shoot for campbell's soup downtown uh do you want to go and see what they're doing and he's like yeah i can i can do with some soup oh wow that's incredible but he's the thing is like is, is Dalessandro still alive if he is he needs to be casting stuff immediately because he's fucking cool he looks like like a sort of well i guess he he's sort of grown into a kind of clint eastwood face like he was a super handsome young man mm. and now he's got that kind of perma squint mm-hmm. that Eastwood had mm-hmm. but and he's obviously quite old uh, in these interviews but he's still like kind of he's got that like lean old man that could beat you up vibe yes <laughs> But he's, yeah, he tells a great meandering anecdote and many, many, many of them back to back uh, throughout this. But it, it talks about his, yeah, like his experience with getting involved with Warhol, time on set, that he's got a fantastic bomb. Bon mot on the uh, on the garden uh, the gardener that he's in mm. uh, which was his sort of break away from uh, from Warhol briefly before going back and doing Dracula and uh, Frankenstein yeah it's a really really fantastic uh, sort of really in-depth interview about his whole career where he just he sort of is allowed to given space to freeform his recollections f- through his entire acting catalogue Excellent. Yeah, wonderful. And just one last thing on this set. I'd recommend watching all of the movies, but um, I'd like to highlight No, The Case is Happily Resolved. Not least because it's an awesome title, but um, 
has a fantastic premise and wonderful music and it makes a great double bill with Savage 3 not least because it opens at a soccer match and uh, Dan talked about the, uh, the the soccer violence being kind of at the heart of uh, some of these films and yeah as I said before they're all available on the streaming service so uh, uh, subscribe and go nuts because um, many treats await you if you haven't seen any of these films yeah yeah they're great great movies all all very very worth your time all right well should we move on to recommendations based on the film i'm pretty confident we're not going to have any crossovers this time so dan please go first well so i've got two (laughs) sam and i actually discussed one of these before we started recording because i had a bit of a tiz about whether it was a real movie (laughs) uh which is going to sound insane when i say the name and then i'll explain (laughs) what happened afterwards so my my immediate first choice because i I didn't want to just recommend other polititeski movies if you've bought this you've got the box set you've got three other italian cop movies waiting for you you don't need me to add to that list if you do want us to add to that list message sam and i uh, mm. we'll do our social media at the end uh, and we'll recommend some more favorites mm. i love this one but uh, so i thought i'd recommend some other bits and bobs and as sam knows i love football so my number, <laughs> <laughs> my, num- <laughs> my number one recommendation off the back of this is 1989's the firm which is a tv movie by alan clark it stars a young gary Oldman, and it's uh oh it's a st- astonishingly good it's a about a duality of life it's about like broken allegiances and priorities it's about uh, all-consuming anger coming from a from sort of class dissatisfaction which is you know pretty uh, pretty constant uh, form in alan clark it's about as about as present as steady cams and yeah and it's just a really fantastic observation of like broken values and toxic masculinity and i love it i absolutely love it and uh, the reason i had a bit of a, a problem with it is i think it was done as a part of a like a series of tv movies so when i was trying to check the date on imdb i couldn't find it and i was like oh was it is it not called The Firm? Maybe it's got another name. Because, you know, all, all that's coming up is the old uh, John Grisham thing. So I'm like, ah, and, uh, and the TV series based on that. So I, uh, so I, I, I'll put in Alan Clark. I'm pretty sure. Eight, late 80s, early 90s, I'll find it. No, nothing called The Firm from Alan Clark. Did I imagine it? It's definitely Gary Oldman. I'll look through Gary Oldman's stuff. Go through late 80s, early 90s. Nothing from Gary Oldman called The Firm. What the living fuck is going on? Have I imagined this entire film? No, it's just an episode of a thing. So, yeah, IMDb considers it an episode. But it's uh, it's available uh, separately from uh, from that. I, I think I've still only got it on DVD, but I'm sure there are Blu-rays around. It's an absolute treat. It's only about 50 minutes, mm. isn't it, Sam? Yeah, that's right. And you've missed out a key detail of, uh, of that story, which is that I was the one that put you onto the, the thread of... Uh checking whether it was an episode within a, a larger TV thing. Oh, set. yeah, iPhone Sam basically <laughs> thinking I'd invented this. <laughs> invented this film. And Sam was like, no, I think that's a, it's a TV movie. It's probably listed as an episode. And he was correct. Hey, um, I love being correct. It, it happens so rarely. But do you know what, Dan? <laughs> we have accidentally done a perfect double bill here because you could probably guess, actually. I'm going to let you guess what my first recommendation is. Are you recommending Scum? I'm not recommending Scum, though that would be a good one. No, I am recommending from 1995, ID. ID? Yeah! Which um, 
I love ID. Yeah, which is basically it's a, about a police officer that goes undercover in a kind of gang of football hooligans, but finds himself being influenced by the the law of uh, thuggish violence and finds himself his personality starting to shift and change. I, I think if you grew up in the nineties, you probably know ID. It was kind of quite popular in in the nineties. It is very very nineties, but it does have an amazing cast like you've got philip glenister in an early role warren clark sean pertwee is fantastic in it so is lee ross um steve sweeney who's incredible actor i I really do recommend giving it a chance david sharp yeah it's just it's um yeah a who's who of kind of British character actors at that time. Obviously not as good as The Firm because that has Gary Oldman and Alan Clark, but it's another kind of under-the-radar British equivalent to um, Fango Valente from a certain perspective. So, yeah, good double build there. Yeah, I can completely see yeah. that. And it has uh, some amazing stuff with Pickles and Dots. <laughs> it does. And a very, very, very funny scene where um, two people are breaking up. Um it has a <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah anyway anyway id I, man the the pickle interrogation is just beautiful yeah i i that was an alternate title for the movie actually the pickle interrogation but pickle um, interrogation yeah, yeah i can see that yeah, yeah that tracks <laughs> all right what's next for you based on this movie it's a little film that none of you have heard of called clockwork orange <laughs> Oh my God, Dan. I was so confident. I was so confident that we wouldn't have crossovers. I let you go first. God damn it. I did briefly think that there was a small chance that because you occasionally love to recommend stuff like The Terminator. (laughs) Or Evil Dead 2. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or Evil Dead 2. That there was a small chance that you might have recommended. You might go for uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about it together, Sam. Yeah, that sounds good. Listen, Fango Malento is fucking amazing, but it's a little unfair to put it in the same like sentence as Clockwork Orange because, oh my God, obviously this film is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. There's a very small chance that we have listeners, you know, maybe a couple who haven't seen it, and there's no shame in that, you know? Like, we can't all see all the films. I'm working my way through a load of classics I've never seen at the moment, and and... Yeah, Clockwork Orange is a fucking masterpiece. Put it, bump it up your list if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, maybe it's maybe it's time. Maybe go and watch it again because yeah. goddamn, it's great. It's it's perfect. It's genius, and that was exactly my logic for recommending it because we we do have listeners, we do have young listeners who say to us, "Oh, I haven't seen, I hadn't seen such and such," and it is like your Evil Dead twos or or your Terminators. Like there are these movies that you and i because we watch so much weird shit just assume that everyone's seen but these are classic yeah. films now they're so old they're they're the same as the 50s noirs that we grew up on or, or whatever um so yeah definite definite recommendation for <laughs> clockwork orange if you haven't seen it but also dirty harry i know dan's not a fan of it but if you do love this genre you do need to see these kind of formative films because yeah oh yeah 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 like i, I still think it's worth a watch yeah. it's still a well-made film. yeah yeah and it's just got politics in it i don't like and and literally dirty harry and clockwork orange are the two kind of formative movies for this genre so they're just both so influential so um yeah well i i do have a backup dan is, is there more that you want to say about uh clockwork orange though 
No, that's kind of yeah. it, really. Like, it's hard to recommend a film that's that amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and that widely seen. Yeah. I feel that 99% of our audience will be going, well, duh. <laughs> but, but, you know, fuck. Imagine if you hadn't seen Clockwork exactly. Orange and then two dudes just were like, convince you to watch it for the first time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's such, such an amazing movie. Also, by the way, one of the three guys, not uh, D'Alessandro, one of the three guys in the titular Savage 3 in Fango Valente looks quite a lot like Malcolm McDowell. Yep. So, I suspect, so there's that too. I suspect that might be intentional because this came out, what, four <laughs> years after Clockwork Orange? So plenty yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and actually, structurally, mm. aside from the, the hospital stuff, I, I do feel that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of clockwork orange in this. Yeah. I, I think it was probably a, as more than just an influence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an unofficial remake, as is so often the case uh, with these films. Cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna do a backup recommendation, which is Curfew, which is available on uh, Vinegar Syndrome. It came out uh, in January this year, and I got it as part of my um, subscription. I, I've subscribed for the first time, which means that I get all of their releases at the end of every month and um, I do have to say there was a problem with my first batch and I got in touch with their customer service and it's one of the best customer service experiences I've ever had I know this is the Arrow podcast but Vinegar Syndrome I love you thank you so much for getting that sorted but yeah curfew sees a couple of criminals that uh, escape prison and they take revenge on the people who put them away and it kind of starts like a slasher movie it's kind of got like i was reading i can't remember what screenwriter it was but i was reading an interview with a screenwriter recently who said that it's his mission to take a premise and then try and resolve it in the first half an hour and then see where the rest of the film goes and i almost feel like that's what happened with this movie because the first half an hour is you know quite a high body count kind of slasher and then it becomes a home invasion movie but yeah it kind of has that battle between the the system and, and the criminals that so many uh Plitcher-Chesky films have and it has a kind of similar um misanthropic tone so yeah it's another one that's not necessarily very well reviewed but i think that's possibly because it's quite uncomfortable in places and it, it has that kind of vignette feel that uh, brotherhood of satan had that i'm kind of so into at the moment but it's another one like brotherhood of satan that i went into with low expectations and uh and really loved it so uh curfew i recommend it sort of based on savage three though uh maybe don't double bill them because they're very tenuously linked uh, hence it being a backup rather than a main. But um, yeah, do watch Clockwork Orange first, I'd say. Yeah, like arguably better. Arg- arguably better than Curfew <laughs> and arguably better <laughs> than <laughs> most films. All right, well, let's go into what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching? Let's hope there's no kind of uh, competing crossovers here. I think it's deeply unlikely. <laughs> I'm still tapping the depths of my film festival with Tony. Oh, great. When I called Tony and said, hey, do you want to come over for a film festival? I knew that there was going to be a lot of weight on me to provide movies. Tony is a, an incredibly literate film viewer. He's seen almost everything. And I always feel bad when we're just watching shit he's seen before. Because, you know, like as much as it's nice to settle in with an old favourite, it's also, you know, all we're craving is great new stuff we've not seen in the past. And I thought, what does Tony love that I've seen almost nothing of? It's Mexican wrestling horror. <laughs> I'm not... I've not seen a lot of it. I yes, like what I've seen, yeah, yeah. 
but I've not seen a lot. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go for a deep cut. I'm going to go, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to take a, take a punt. And I found one that he hadn't seen. And so Tony and I watched from 1973, Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and Wolfman. Yes. By Miguel M. Delgado. Now, let me tell you, Sam. <laughs> This is amazing. I've only seen a couple of Santo films before. I think I'd probably forgotten that he never takes off his mask, but that was a treat just from all the like planning they have to do, like yeah. the normal being out in the real world with a mask on. It's a short film, and if you cut out the needlessly padding Mexican wrestling fights, it would probably only be an hour long. But oh my days, it's a treat. So a f- Santo's girlfriend is connected to a family that Blue Demon is dating within blue demon and santo traditionally enemies they don't they never fight in this film they fight other people and they tag team against other people in a fight at the end including someone who's i think it's just called the hippie or like someone or other the hippie who was another uh, famous wrestler at the time but anyway so blue demon's girlfriend is part of a family that have some weird history with dracula and uh, hunchback has decided he's gonna resurrect the wolfman and also dracula and he does it by killing blue demon's girlfriend's granddad uh, and then like hanging him up by his feet and cutting his throat and bleeding him over the skeletons of Dracula and Wolfman in a basement. And then they kind of like slowly come back to life. It's honestly, it's an amazing sequence. And then Wolfman and Dracula and this dude have a little plan and they're like, okay, so here's the thing. So from a like a logistics standpoint, what we've got to do is just make as many Draculas and Wolfmen as possible. We'll just go fucking go out and bite people. That's plan number one. Tier A, biting. Tier B, revenge. This dead dude who brought us back to life, his family, they're all, we hate them. So we're going to just kill all of them. So Wolfman, you seduce the daughter and then I'll like I'll abduct the granddaughter and it's fine. We'll just kill everyone. But Santo and Blue Demon don't like this biz. They don't like these bad guys. So they're going to do a lot of... like. If you've ever wondered what it's like to watch a fucking enormous man in a mask climb a tree, climb a very... Like a tree that does not look like it would carry his weight. You know how, Sam, you know how they can make a film more concise through editing? <laughs> I've, I've heard rumour, yeah. <laughs> you know you know how if you had like a fucking giant climb a tree, you might like trim it down because there are moments where he might look comically ungainly. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Leave it all in. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Oh. oh, it's great, Sam. There's so many life lessons to be learned in this film. Excellent. Like, for example, if you throw a stick through a wolfman, he will explode into a pile of shaving foam. Wow, that's news and to if me. You've, if you've, <laughs> yeah, it's very useful news. Yeah. You can use that. Yeah, tuck that one away. That'll come in handy. Um, if you've done too many crimes in your life, a magical dagger will no longer consider you human and might. Uh, stab you well that's that's definitely knowledge that i need wow excellent i love it don't do too many crimes they don't stipulate how many crimes is too many crimes though so further research is required (laughs) oh that's one thing the polizioteski genre is missing that's magical daggers that turn on criminals oh my goodness man honestly literally turn on them like (laughs) turn in their hands (laughs) excellent wow this sounds wonderful yeah Yeah. an absolute treat uh it's my I, i think it's my third santo movie i will We'll be digging deeper, Excellent. so expect expect more Santa recommendations in the future. Well, look, there is a small crossover 
between your choice and my choice in that they are both from 1973. I've got a kind of working theory that 1973 is maybe my favourite film year. Films released in 1973 that I love include The Iron Rose, Day for Night, The Long Goodbye, Scarecrow, uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle, Charlie Varick, The Outfit, Mean Streets, Badlands, The Wicker Man. There are more, but uh, I think I've made enough work for whoever's doing the letterbox (laughs) of of this. uh... One of these things is not like the others. (laughs) I like how you fucking tucked Scarecrow in there. (laughs) Well, Scarecrow is... uh, I'm talking about the the Jerry Schatzberg, the Gene Hackman and Al Pacino. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so so that is that is like, like the pro- others very much. A proper movie. Um, but also like Serpico, which would yeah. definitely I'd recommend based on uh, the the Plitschewski genre, if not necessarily Savage Three. But you know, The Exorcist was 1973. It was a great year, and so yeah, it's a great year. After that builder, I am going to be recommending a film called Shot. From Vinegar Syndrome. Do you know Shot Dan from 1973? I don't, and I'm like I've I've got a massive fucking stack of Vinegar Syndrome stuff I got through recently, and I like the fact that you've managed to recommend two titles I don't have. Oh, well, that is um, yeah, yeah, that is credit to them. Though I don't yeah. know how you feel about Shot. I think Shot will have to be a party movie for you because it is essentially a student film i mean it's actually a student film made for like is it from their their rural their rural filmmaking catalog it is but it's it's not what you'd ex- some of those are fun some of those are very fun but it's not what you'd expect from that because normally those kind of shot for 15k by a bunch of students uh, in the middle of nowhere that's normally horror but this is a crime film it's like influenced by the french connection it's them trying to make uh a 70s crime film but in the 70s so it does have that feel of parody um like kind of modern parody but because it takes place in the era which uh, early on as well 73 it's got this kind of kind of naturalistic feel but legitimate feel as well it's wonderful i absolutely loved it from start to finish it's also terrible from a certain perspective like you know i mentioned the outfit and charlie varick and and serpico and stuff in in my lead up to this but that doesn't just because it's kind of a little bit thrown together and not everything makes sense doesn't mean that it isn't wonderful it it kind of there's a scene in it that reminded me of fassbinder it's kind of a wonderful okay that makes sense yeah it's a wonderful kind of chaotic mess but it kind of culminates in one of my favorite kind of ever film experiences i absolutely love this one it was such a joy and to see what they achieved like i'm being a bit kind of dismissive about elements of this film because i kind of want to put across that it's a student film so it's not perfect but it is a perfect student film if that makes sense like there's crane shots in here there's you know sequences with helicopters like they went all out and it's extremely admirable what they managed to achieve on their budget and with the kind of resources that they had available to them outside of that budget you know i think there's some favors being pulled here but it's fucking magnificent it's a real achievement someone's dad's got a helicopter yeah exactly um because you're not gonna get a helicopter for kind of 15 grand but yeah it's it's 
and it's got sequences that reminded me of of Cassavetes. Like, oh, it's just great. It's great. You, you say that, Sam. I directed a short film that I've literally never fucking released. Jen and I were talking about this the other day that I should, like, it's been ten years and I should finally like figure it the fuck out. But we had a helicopter in that, and I found a company that did helicopter lessons, and I said, if we pay you for a one-hour lesson, will you let us put the cameraman in the back of your helicopter and you just yes. fly him over our thing? And they're like, yeah, fine. So I got a, I got a helicopter shot. And this is in the days for drones. Like, what we wanted to do now would be so much easier and so much better with a drone. But we got our helicopter shot for like 150 quid. I think I've seen that short film. Is it the one, is it the one in, that takes place in the bunker? It starts starts in the yeah, bunker exactly. and then is above ground for the. Bunker. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, spoiler yeah, yeah. alert, Dan. I I know there's not a helicopter seat, uh, shot of the bunker or inside the bunker, but it's a spoiler alert to say <laughs> I mean, that something I takes mean, place outside you know of now, the bunker. Now, now I want to make a film where someone ill-advisedly starts a helicopter in a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah, I, I like and and one last thing about this is that they raised the budget for the film by having film screenings which i think is kind of a wonderful way to to get funds for a movie um through your your pure love of cinema and and showing other movies so yeah i'm i actually massively respect this That's film nice. as, as much as i've tried to lower expectations i i think it's a, a wonderful wonderful example of uh, the indie spirit and I just love that Vinegar Syndrome has picked it out and, and, and put it out on a, a beautiful, beautiful Blu-ray that, you know, it, it's it's not an insanely great restoration because of what they were working with, but it's a wonderful package. And there's only a couple of hundred left in stock on the website. So um, a big recommendation for shot. Yeah, that's it on shot. What's next from you, Dan? You know, every now and then you you come across a film and you're like, why did no one tell me about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, so I've always been a big fan of Black Cat, White Cat by Amir Kusturitsa. Mm-hmm. And I've always like felt like I should dig further through his catalogue. But I've actually not seen very many of his movies. Mm. Like I've yeah, like I've I've seen a handful of them and they've all been great. And they and every time I see one I think I should watch more of this guy's films. Mm. But I haven't seen that many. And so this last fortnight I watched Arizona Dream. Oh nice. I'd never seen it before. Wow. Well I d I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but why has no one told me about this movie? <laughs> Well, I mean, I I think that it's um it's not exactly a clockwork orange, is it? In terms of people who have seen it I... or aware of it, it's it's no, no, not at all. But like, I feel that it's like okay. So for those of you who haven't heard of it, and I suspect that's going to be a lot exactly. of you. It's a Johnny Depp and Vincent Gallo and G- and Jerry like, Lewis. Sort of, well, uh, but bear with me. I'm <laughs> Sorry, getting, I'm, getting I'm jumping. I'm jumping in because I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, it's a Johnny Depp and Vincent Gallo vehicle. Is the wrong word? Like, imagine if a madman built a vehicle. <laughs> is that Johnny Depp and Vincent Gallo vehicle with Jerry Lewis, Faye Dunaway, Lily Taylor? Like, it's. The entire cast is just fucking perfect. It's incredible, yeah. I've never seen Gallo give a performance I cared about more than this film. Depp's absolutely fantastic. This is kind of like early career, because this is like 90s. This is is like Benny and June era Johnny Mm -hmm. Depp. This is like charming, young, handsome boy Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp, rather than like drunk pirate Johnny Depp. (laughs) This is pre-Hunter S. Thompson Johnny Depp. But it's, yeah, it's absolutely lovely. It's weird. It's got a little bit of magic 
psychological realism in it. It's got this kind of like dream logic narrative. Like it feels very much, you know, Hotel New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It feels like I feel it feels very akin to Hotel New Hampshire, which I I love. It's yeah, like it's honestly, it's like on its surface, it's quite simple. It's about two brothers and their relationship with a stepmother and daughter. It's semi semi romantic. It's got a lot of stuff about an obsession with flying and flight which travels through to a more oblique subtext about escape and dissatisfaction but it's such a fucking gorgeous film mm. and i completely understand why when like you know so amir kusteritz is this european director and hollywood goes we're gonna give this guy a go and now he makes this <laughs> like two and a half hour yes. weird fest yeah. and everyone's like no, we're not. We're not down with this. You can fuck off now, thank you. <laughs> and then he doesn't make another English language film for his entire yeah. career, and that very much saddens me. But you know what? Um, it, it what doesn't sadden me is that he didn't. He didn't like sacrifice anything with this movie. Mm. He made this feels very much like the movie he wanted to make, and I'm very, very glad it exists. There's an Australian DVD. <laughs> uh, there, sorry, there's an Australian Blu-ray. Um, I think there are DVDs around. It's really, really worth tracking down. Yeah, it's... Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely lovely. It's really good. Well, speaking of films that, like, why haven't I seen this before a type experiences my next recommendation is one that I'm hoping you've seen Dan because I kind of want to get into it uh, on this film it's one that I was just looking for something to watch I you know when you have those moods where you're like oh I just I don't I've got so much to watch I don't know what to watch and so you start looking yeah. for something else to watch <laughs> um, that's kind of what I did and I kind of stumbled over this on a streaming service i think it's hulu and you know just for some reason i picked this one it's called ricochet it's from 1991 it's that wow denzel washington and and john lithgow yeah i'd never seen it yeah and it's got one of my favorite knee shots in it and it's it's absolutely fucking insane it may be the trashiest studio picture i've ever seen yeah lithgow's incredible lithgow is incredible in it and like there's a sequence where they kind of go to a fetish club and the camera's kind of panning along all of these you know extraordinary people and i'm like oh this is the type of film where they think that dwarfs in fetish clubs are you know a thing there's definitely going to be a, a little person uh, popping up and the the pan ended on a little person standing on the bar pouring drinks and i was like okay it's that kind of film but by that point i already knew it was that kind of film to be fair because it features like a samurai sword fight in a prison um, <laughs> where the yes. armor is made out of like newspapers and magazines yeah rolled up magazines yeah. glossy glossy sunday supplements and yeah i don't even want to get into the plot because i was just sitting there going what the merry fuck oh yes there's jesse ventura with prison tattoos with john lifgal out strengthening him i i'm actually starting to ramble now because this is the the impact that kind of ricochet had on me denzel washington is really fun in it totally overacting i know he's one of the the greatest actors of his generation but he's so hammy in this movie in in such an entertaining way you know ice t plays his criminal best mate i should probably talk about a little bit about the setup which is uh, basically 
basically a, a policeman uh, arrests a, a criminal in a very kind of a captivating way uh, and it's shot uh, by an amateur on his VHS camcorder and it goes to the media and he becomes a bit of a superstar and as a result the criminal in prison really really seethes over the humiliation of his arrest and decides to take revenge but this isn't a cape fear style revenge this is the most (laughs) preposterous and intricate revenge i've ever seen i think in a film like this yeah ricochet is absolutely batshit crazy it kind of reminded me of of brian de palma in some of the extremes of it though it does if you'd made me guess i would have said it was a departure. yeah exactly exactly it really has that style and tone though the ending isn't quite up to the standard of de palma movies the ending is the only thing that kind of lets it down because you're like oh really this i get what you're going for i get the satire but the ending didn't quite work enough for me which may be why it hasn't kind of fallen across my desk before but everything up until the ending was so much fun and so wild and weird and intense so yeah if like me you haven't seen ricochet from 1991 i would advise bumping it up your streaming queue if you have hulu and yeah it's one that i would love to see uh, rescued and, and put out on a on a really good blu-ray yeah it's it's a very very weird <laughs> and fantastic yeah. film and if you are just a tiny bit younger than sam yeah. and i and you mostly think of lithgow as the guy from third rock from the sun <laughs> or harry and the hendersons yeah, yeah. and like that period of his career then a i I cannot recommend this and and all the De Palma stuff and you know all that kind of thing strongly enough but also I'd like to recommend a YouTube video that is just him saying cunt for 10 hours (laughs) there you go Uh, which is from Dexter but yeah yeah bump that up your list as well you know set aside half a day and uh, yeah really get into it I love that excellent all right well Dan any more from you I mean Man, I was, you know what? Yeah, go on. I'm just going to do a rattle through of some of the, because I've seen, I've had a really good, a really good chunk of time since the last one. And there's a lot of things I want to mention. Well, should we go, should we go into extra features? Because that, that's probably the place Well, but I have a specific thing for extra features. But we can do these both. Yeah, let's do it all in extra features. Okay, extra features, extra features, extra features. All right, so just, I just wanted to just, just run through some really fun stuff I'd seen recently. The Book of Stone, which is by Tabuada, who did like Even the Wind Was Afraid, uh, Poison for the Fairies, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is a really fun haunted statue, evil child, imaginary friend um, from Mexico that's really, really fun. I finally saw the 1989 erotic horror Dr. Caligari, uh, which I've never seen before, but you may have seen GIFs from on the internet because it gets sampled for its weird big licky tongues and, and, and other weird puppety stuff, which is absolutely amazing. I I watched the sequel to Dr. Phoebes for the first time, Dr. Phoebes Rises Again, which I really enjoyed. I was not ready for how much they were going to dial up the camp in that one. That was an absolute delight. Uh, during the film festival, we also checked out Visitors from the Galaxy, another Eastern European, like ostensibly a kid's film, but has absolutely no idea what is acceptable for children. <laughs> It's one of those. There's a there's a bit where they're like, I think there's aliens on that island. We should go and see them. And all the tourists go to the island where the aliens are. And then one woman is like, we come in peace. We'll demonstrate this by taking off their clothes. 
taking off our clothes and one person's like what why would we do that but no too late everyone's completely naked for the next five minutes and then it's got decapitations and flamethrower robots and all this crazy stuff but it really feels like a kids film that's a delight excellent you check that excellent. out um i watched the the Australian Blu-ray I don't know where I got it from of uh, From Beijing with Love that was the other film we watched with Mike uh, we watched that and Visitors from the Galaxy From Beijing with Life uh, with Love is a really aggressive like copyright infringement on James Bond <laughs> uh, I think the actual original like Hong Kong title actually has 007 in the logo amazing like, in the title fantastic it's a, it's a Stephen Chow comedy and again it has absolutely no idea what it's acceptable tone is it's sort of sits mostly around the sort of like slapstick action comedy but then it also has a scene where like a a, a guy gets shot in the back of the head by robbers while trying to like hide his infant son from them that's shot on like grainy cctv footage (laughs) and so it's like it's really harrowing wow yeah that's really fun, but the, but actually, what I wanted to talk about was uh, my uh, shout out uh, a couple of episodes ago about farces. Oh, yeah, excellent. So I requested recommendations on farces, and I've, despite the massive list of films I've just ro- rattled off, I've seen three of your recommendations, and I loved two of them. <laughs> Oh, so I, I wanted to say first off, I, I, I'm ashamed to say actually because I hadn't really planned to do this. I I don't remember who recommended each of these, so I will try and uh, make a note of it next time, or maybe I'll just say some names later and Sam can edit them in. Oh, great! Um, I look forward but... to that. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> and if 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 the names don't appear, it's not because I didn't look your names up. And remember them. It's because Sam couldn't be bothered to edit them in. Do <laughs> I mean that is definitely the most likely. But if if you are going to do it, Dan, can you just do it in like literally rattle off a list so I can drop it in now? There we go. Excellent, Dan. Carry on. Yeah. Cool. Jen and I watched Monkey Business from 1952. Excellent. Oh my goodness, what a load of fun. Yeah, Howard Hawks, absolute delight. Uh, Carrie Grant and Ginger Rogers, Charles Coburn and Marilyn Monroe. I'll tell you something, aside from all the other stuff about the film, which is great fun, if a bit fluffy. I'd never really seen like all the fuss about Marilyn Monroe uh, until this movie. And maybe it's just that I haven't watched a lot of Marilyn Monroe films. But oh my goodness, that woman is charismatic. Yep, charismatic yeah. and uh, excellent comic timing as well. Yeah, really, really solid like performance. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Really enjoyed that. Watched the Palm Beach story. That's probably the, my winner of the of the ones that I watched. The Preston Sturgis picture from 1942. Mm. That was an absolute delight. Uh, Claudette Colbert was brilliant in that. Really, really enjoyed that. Can't recommend that highly enough. That's a sort of extensively a, a romantic comedy about trusting your partner and jealousy, but it's really, really expertly put together. The one I didn't like was Noises Off, which I, I just left me really cold. Mm. It felt like a movie that didn't have enough to be a movie, and so they just added a shtick to it. And I, I you know what? I think it probably worked really well on stage. I could imagine how brilliant it would be in that second act when the when you're behind the the stage mm. like i love real inspector hound i think it's one of the ones i referenced a couple of episodes ago when i was talking about farces and and that 
uses that conceit you're watching a play from behind the play because what you're actually watching is the audience and it and it works really gr- brilliantly in the theater i've never seen it done on film and i suspect it's because it doesn't translate uh, and i and i fear that the noise is off stuff you know that it suffered from that and that's one of the reasons that it didn't hit home with me but what i will say is oh oh my goodness oh my good what my brain why is my brain falling out i can't remember who played superman christopher reeve christopher reeve oh my god christopher reeve is a handsome man he is yeah like oh wow he jen summed it up very very well which is she said he straddled two aesthetics oh that's interesting he had he had the sort of the chiseled statuesque handsomeness of the sort of like 50s to 80s But then he also had that kind of like the 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 Hollywood star of the eighties and nineties as well. That's so true. Yeah, that's and that's he, a perfect. He combines actually. those. Yeah, yeah. yeah he combines like those Tom Cruise and, meets and again, Montgomery Clift or something. Like he's got. Yeah, he's Tom. He's like Tom Cruise meets an average height man. <laughs> <laughs> he's got strength and sensitivity. I mean, like he is the perfect. Um, yeah the perfect superman yeah 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 absolutely mm-hmm. but my god i don't think i'd ever realized how fucking tall he is either. oh yeah like he's a big man yeah 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 but he's he's eminently watchable and yet not a not a not a stir in me when his trousers kept on fucking falling down like that's a fine joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it was it was fine like the jokes were good the performances were, were good i found the fake english accents incredibly upsetting (laughs) but but it just didn't have enough structure for me but that doesn't mean people shouldn't continue to recommend farces to me there's still a couple on the list that people have recommended that i'm i'm looking forward to but i welcome more please send me more it it seems like uh, 50s and 60s is my is my bag that's that's those are the farces i want thank you excellent yeah no very good era for farces though you know there's great stuff in the 30s great stuff in the 40s oh Um, yeah. yeah fuck yeah no no I did, we actually started one in the 30s the other the other day but i'm in the middle of a very stressful film and i fell asleep so we're gonna pick that up uh probably tomorrow nice but that was like there's a there's a bit right at the beginning and I, like, this is you know you you know this sam this is this is gonna be a part and parcel of your life as well i went ah oh, fuck yeah we're pre-code <laughs> there's no way that the Hayes era would allow this <laughs> yeah yeah excellent <laughs> yeah a bit of bit of pre-code farce i i welcome that excellent excellent all right well i i look forward to hearing more farcical exploits from you dan in the future because uh i love the genre too and yeah it's wonderful hearing your journey discovering these films so more please dan should we do our social media i got i got a podcast recommend i i think i've started talking to you about this before we started the record, yes actually. but we started this um, record not, so I, long I, ago dan that <laughs> Uh, even though it we promised each ago. other we were going to do short episodes this time i've actually forgotten that but dan please recommend a podcast i, I don't remember I, I don't know anyone from the podcast oh like i it's just a good one uh this isn't it's just a good one mm. it's just a good one i was listening to it on the drive home <laughs> before we recorded this <laughs> podcast and i had to pull over because i was laughing so oh much. excellent excellent the podcast is called the QAnon anonymous podcast <laughs> and it's extensively dissecting the QAnon phenomenon oh, wow. and like why like what's going on there and what the fuck those people are up to but specifically i recommend episode 143 which specifically talks about jim caviezel okay 
and what it is like to work with Jim Caviezel. Oh, wow. Okay, right. So Jim Jim is currently in the process of making a movie where he is playing one of the fucking mad QAnon, like, oh, we save babies because the left eat them, fucking maniacs. And he's he's playing one of those guys in a film. Mm-hmm. And he did, a, he did a talk recently where he started spouting bullshit about the adrenochrome like conspiracy Mm -hmm. which is what drew this podcast's attention and then one of them did a a deep dive like sort of investigation on him and they ended up interviewing a bunch of people who worked with him on a person of interest Mm -hmm. and the yeah the podcast is basically about him who he is what he believes and what it is like to work with him and oh my goodness i don't want to spoil anything but i yeah, it's a genuinely wonderful. I think it was it was Andre Martin's a regular listener to the of the podcast and and a, and a good friend who recommended it to me, and I like was weeping with laughter. Excellent at some of this. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think my one of my favorite phrases in the in the episode is he's like it's like working with a puppy where you have to keep telling it don't bite that, don't chew that, <laughs> don't do that. Except the puppy won't stop talking about how Hitler had some good ideas. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's it's a it's a real listen. Wow, right. I'm gonna get on that as soon as we finish recording this podcast. That sounds awesome and disturbing as well. So fantastic. All right. Well, let us do our social media, Dan. How can people hunt you down on the internet? Hello, I'm at <laughs> Thirteen Finger FX uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that's it. I like some occasional pictures of work stuff. I'm up to oblique references to current jobs self-aggrandizing pictures of old jobs uh, (laughs) and then like questions about where i could get an audio lead (laughs) wonderful all right well i am at sam ashes 23 on instagram i'm not really doing twitter so much anymore so i am on instagram where i'm mostly just watching stuff i'm posting screen grabs and title cards so if you enjoy the recommendations that uh, i do on this podcast i'm sure you'll enjoy the the supplemental recommendations that you get through my instagram feed so sam ashes 23 uh give me a follow there and all are welcome that's that's how social media works that's isn't very it? magnanimous <laughs> of you. <laughs> no, i've really changed over the course of the past five years we've been doing this podcast for almost five years dan it's five years this year we should do a special episode when That's we hit bonkers. that benchmark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we? When, when is when is five years? Off the top of your head, you don't have to be able to answer that. Off the top of my head, I think it's like June or July because uh, I've probably July because the idea came at Cannes uh, in 2017, so that was May, and I think it took us a little while to to get going. So I think it's June or July. I mean, this year. Two months is not a lot. Mm. Like that's cool. Yeah. So we'll look forward to that. But until then, thank you so much for listening, especially if it's been over the course of the past five years. But as I say, all are welcome. Thank you so much for listening. And (laughs) we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye.